And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here with the latest episode of the Bridge Daily. Here we are, Thursday of week 20, and we got a special edition today. And it's not on COVID-19. Well, it's kind of related to COVID-19, but it's not about COVID-19. It's about the Prime Minister. It's about Justin Trudeau appearing today before a parliamentary committee, and that doesn't happen every day. In fact, it's only happened a few times in kind of recent memory. And this one is as a result of the whole controversy surrounding the WE Group, the WE Foundation, and the money that the federal government had planned to give, in fact did give to WE, but then the money was pulled back. There are all kinds of questions raised about the Prime Minister's role in that money going to WE, which would have been eventually distributed to uh, students across Canada. And whether or not he was influenced by the fact that uh, a number of his family, including his wife, his mother, and her brother, have given speeches for the WEE Foundation in different parts of the country and have accepted money in some cases for those speeches and have had their expenses paid. Anyway, the Parliamentary Committee asked for the Prime Minister to appear. He agreed to appear. He appeared for 90 minutes and was kind of grilled in a Zoom committee hearing. So it had a lot of kind of weird things going on as a result of what we were watching. Uh, But it was fascinating nevertheless. And I want to talk about it with my friend and old colleague from the At Issue days when I was at the uh, CBC, Bruce Anderson, who's the chairman of the uh, Abacus Data Group, who do a lot of research and polling in the country. And it's interesting to talk to Bruce on this day because it's the same day that Abacus has come out with a sense of how Canadians feel about Justin Trudeau's handling of this we controversy. So Bruce joins us on the line from Ottawa now. Bruce, good to have you with us, as always. Um, let great me, to talk to you, Peter. Great. Well, let's first of all kind of set the table a little bit by getting a sense of how Canadians feel about Justin Trudeau's handling of this before he actually spoke in front of the committee today. What's the What are the headlines out of the survey that you've done? You should tell us as we always do, how many people you talk to and when you talk to them. Uh, Yeah, this was a fairly significant size, the national survey. I believe the sample was 1,500. It's on our website, abacusdata.ca, so everybody can download and and look at the details as they want, but it's very much in line with our regular tracking studies. The, uh, The headlines really are that, you know, this is a government that once the pandemic arrived and became the focal point of politics and public opinion and um, daily life for all of us, um, the government saw approval ratings for what it was doing shoot up and stay up uh, for weeks on end. And really, it's only been in the last 10 days that we've seen significant deterioration in the approval level for the federal government, seen deterioration in feelings towards the prime minister, and we've seen a shrink of uh, shrinking of the number of people who say that they would vote liberal. So just to kind of give a sense, Peter, of how sizable that movement has been, approval of the government is down four points in 10 days and 14 points since May. Um, negative opinion about Mr. Trudeau is up five points over the same period and 11 points since May. Uh, so those are pretty significant shifts. Now, on the overall kind of so-called horse race number. The Liberals still have a four-point advantage uh, over the Conservatives. And it does look as though what's going on is that some of the people who voted Liberal last fall 
aren't really happy with the way that this issue has emerged and been handled uh, by the government. It's not that they're fleeing to other parties or that they see other things that other parties are putting on offer that are appealing to them. In fact, we don't really see an improvement in the fortunes of anybody else. But it's definitely the first time since the pandemic arrived that we've seen a real softening of uh, of the support that the government has enjoyed. All right. Well, those are interesting numbers. Does it, do you get at the at what Canadians feel the actual issue is? Like, what is the issue to them about this controversy? Yeah. Well, I think that's a really great question, and that is what we uh, we're trying to get at a little bit. Is that I think the answer is that there are two or three different things that it could be, depending on your perspective. I think some people heard uh, the version of this uh, story that made them feel as though uh, it was about corruption, that it was about the prime minister and the government making a decision that was intended to line the pockets of their family or their friends in politics. Um, And uh, obviously, people who feel that that was the motivation of the government, they're pretty unhappy at that. Now, a lot of those people are um, naturally partisans of other parties. That's what we see in our poll. Uh, But there are some people who voted liberal in the fall who also believe that that was the that was the fact of this situation, that it was about uh, corruption of a sort. Uh, There are other people, though, uh, who think that this is really about sloppiness, that uh, the government was dealing with a lot of different things, that uh, a decision of this sort or size or dimension or risk required greater diligence than was applied. And so while they're not saying that the government did something corrupt, it's not exactly praised to say that the government handled this badly because it was sloppy. Um, and so that's a second uh, cadre of voters, if you like, many of whom uh, might have uh, voted liberal in the past or might be considering voting liberal in the future, but nonetheless look at this situation, Peter, and say, I don't like the way this is done. There's something about this that, uh, that doesn't please me. And I guess the last part of it, um, and I don't know that there's been that much public focus on this, and maybe there won't be, I guess is really about the, the kind of the management discipline of government. How did this, uh, how did this happen? What were the systems in the government that kind of broke down and who was responsible for the breakdowns in those systems? Whether or not you think it was corruption or just sloppiness, either way, you have to believe that systems broke down. And so that really comes to a question about is the prime minister, um, is he surrounded by the right people? Are they doing the right things? Are they appropriate? Are, are they putting in the appropriate diligence? All right. So when he walks, or I was going to say when he walked into the committee room today, of course, he didn't walk into a committee room. He was sitting at home, as were many of the MPs who were on the committee were sitting in their offices or in their home writings because it was a Zoom call doing the questioning. So when you move aside the kind of technical issues, and occasionally those happen this afternoon, but overall, it was a pretty good grilling over 90 minutes. Um, There are three or four particular areas I want to get into, but before we deal with the substantive issues, on a a straight performance basis, how how do you think the Prime Minister did, and how do you think the, the MPs did in challenging him? Uh, you know, I think the prime minister was okay in uh, in representing his uh, himself and the decisions that he made. I don't think I could say I thought it was stronger than that. Um, I think that he was 
uh, helped somewhat by the fact that the MPs who were questioning him um, weren't necessarily on their game as well. I kind of feel like there were uh, there were moments wasted by people asking exactly the same question over and over and over again, um, even though it became clear after the first two or three times that they were going to ask that question, they weren't going to get a different answer. And so in that situation, when you know that you have the prime minister there for 90 minutes, um, every second that you squander um, getting the same thing repeated is is kind of wasted time and, and doesn't really serve your purpose. In terms of why I think the prime minister was... Um, was all right, did okay, um, but maybe not better than that. Uh, there was a, a central part of his argument today um, that uh, I, I think maybe people will think about a little bit more and kind of will wonder a little bit more about it. And, and that's when he basically said that at, there was a point in time in the process leading to the decision to award this contract that he recognized that there would be a lot of scrutiny and that he was concerned about that scrutiny. And so he pumped the brakes basically on the decision and caused the cabinet to not consider it for an additional two weeks so that more, presumably more work could be done to inoculate the government from the kind of criticism that ultimately has arrived. And I think that sort of begs the question. I think the prime minister did a good job of, uh, of kind of refuting the notion that this was really about lining the pockets of his family or friends, uh, the notion that he's got a relationship with this organization. Uh, yes, he does. But it, it, I felt that he did a good job on those first two versions of what is the problem here that I laid out before. On the third one, on the whole management of government side of things, I think that's maybe where the opposition did impress him very much, but maybe where his, uh, his argument wasn't as um, uh, as persuasive for some people as he might have wanted it to be. All right, let's break some of that down because the the first point about this 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 whole sense that he pushed back. This is early May we're talking about that he pushed back when he first heard that we was involved, recognizing that you know there were issues with he and his family and their relationship with E uh, with we, and perhaps somebody should be taking another look at this. Um, that was, you know, that's almost three months ago. Um, certainly two and a half months ago. Why are we just, doesn't it make you kind of wonder, why are we just hearing about this now? Because this has been an issue for weeks on end now, the whole we controversy. One would have thought that if they had a defense, an early defense, at least he did, um, that he was pushing back. Why, did, why are we just finding out about it now? That sounds odd. To me well it, it was a little bit of a surprise i think to people watching and maybe they had said some version of it before and, and collectively none of us had really noticed it so it did seem um, like it was a revelation um that they decided to make today um but the revelation to me uh, helped absolve the prime minister on the on the question of corruption to some degree. Um, but it made maybe the problem a little bit more intense on the question of, of management of, uh, of uh, a complex decision, a major financial decision by the government, and then also the political management of it. So 
if you took the two weeks to make sure that you were going to be bulletproof and at the end of the day, you still made the decision because you presumably that time had been spent doing something to evaluate the level of political risk or program risk. Um, I, I think that's where, you know, the prime minister helped himself in some respects, but maybe raised some other questions. I think also um, there does remain a question about um, accountability. Uh, and, you know, I, I saw in some of the opposition members questioning today that that effort to say, well, does anybody bear responsibility for this in, a, in an other than I'm sorry way? Um, and I think that uh, those questions probably aren't aren't over yet, but um, it's not also clear what the, the forum is for them to continue to be prosecuted. So we'll have to wait and see whether or not the, um, the issue fades. Well, you know, in any scandal or any issue that is being portrayed as a scandal, as this one is, uh, it usually ends up or often ends up in somebody taking the fall, somebody having to resign, somebody being fired. Uh, and when you look at the potential for that happening on this story, there are not a lot of, not a lot of, not, not, not many bodies sitting there that, that have that potential. There's the prime minister. It seems unlikely that that's going to happen, that this is going to cost the prime minister his job, um, at least before an election. Um, the finance minister, that's possible. That is possible because his tentacles on this story um uh, run deep because of his own family connections to the WE organization. And then I guess there's the chief of staff. We've seen chiefs of staff go before. We saw Jerry Butts uh, go, the principal secretary to Justin Trudeau, on the whole um, scandal of, uh, you know, two years ago, I guess almost two years ago now. And we saw the same thing happen in the Stephen Harper government with Nigel Wright. So uh, Katie Telford has the potential of, of, of being fired. But it seems to me that the opposition, as they always do in a situation like this, they want blood. And blood can often end these things fairly quickly, like can kind of end the story to a degree. Is somebody, you've been around long enough, Bruce, is somebody going to swing for this? Uh, you know, I think that... Um there are elements of this story that it, at different times in the past would have led to somebody paying that kind of price for sure. Um, I don't think they are elements that have to do with corruption. I do think that they're potentially um, issues of, did you put yourself in a position where the, potent, the, the perception of a conflict was, was too great? And that's a little bit of a judgment call, right? But, um, we know that this prime minister, like prime ministers before, established the language about how ministers should conduct themselves. Um, and the language set a high standard. Um, and I think that, um, so separate and apart from the question of should people be um, expected to pay a price for the maladministration of choosing this, uh, this organization over another solution, uh, I don't. Uh, it's hard to see that being the kind of thing that goes beyond uh, mistakes were made, corrected before uh, they became a bigger problem, um, and uh, we're sorry about the way that that was handled. On the question of uh, should anybody pay a price for 
uh, using public funds to line the pockets of family and friends, it doesn't look to me like uh, that's the kind of thing that's going to um, rise to the level of people saying, no, no, this is really bad. It just doesn't, you know, the questions about uh, Mrs. Trudeau and that sort of thing, I don't think have, have kind of touched that uh, a nerve in exactly that way. Um, and then I do think the only other question really is, um, probably got to do with the finance minister. We asked the question in our poll whether people thought that he should resign. And, and you know, I think it's important to note that a lot of people don't follow the issue so closely that they can have an opinion about that. And many people, in fact, wouldn't know who the finance minister was. So we have to take these results with a, a real a measure of salt. Across the country, 35% say that Bill Morneau should resign. Uh, 16% say he should, shouldn't, and 48 half say they don't know enough about what he did or didn't do to have an opinion. But what I drew attention to in our poll uh, this morning, in our release this morning, Peter, is what do those 2019 liberal voters think? Um, and there I saw 21% of them. These are people who voted liberal last October, saying that they thought that the finance minister should resign. And I don't know whether that... Um, you know, I don't really know whether this is going to go anywhere, whether they've had that kind of conversation, PM and the finance minister, to to discuss whether or not the uh, the intent of the mandate letter language on appearance of conflict was met or not. Uh, but I think that if I were looking just from a political management standpoint, that would be a number that would catch my attention and say, well, um, whether we do or don't do something more on this now, we probably can't do very many more things that look like this to people who voted for us only a few months ago. Here's the one other area I want to get at, and this this surprised me. I don't think I've ever heard a prime minister do this to the extent that I watched Justin Trudeau do it today. And that is, on the one hand, saying, I screwed up, I should have recused myself from this decision. And he should have. There's no question about that. He probably wouldn't be in as much trouble here right now if he'd done that back two months ago. But while he was saying that on the one hand, on the other hand, he kept returning to the fact that, hey, the public service told us this is the only way we could go. This was the decision we needed to make. It needed to go to we. There was no one else who could move the money to those who were in need as well as we could do it. Where, you know, like... That may have been the recommendation from public service, but public service makes recommendations all the time. And in cabinet, government makes a decision whether or not they should do that. And, you know, they, they don't, every time they make a bad decision, they don't blame the public service for giving them a recommendation that actually, you know, perhaps didn't turn out. But today, he did that a lot. And I that kind of surprised me because the, you know, the, Canadian public service is kind of recognized as one of the great public services in the world. Um, and yet today they were, they were really singled out, not for the first time on this. You know, the, the, it's consistent with the story the Liberals have been telling. Uh, but he kept returning to it uh, continuously today. Yes, I think there is something really uh, unusual about this situation, which required him, as he thought, to do something a bit unusual um, as well. And so because the suggestion is that his government awarded this contract to We Charity in order to uh, continue to see money put into his family's 
pocket or to reward his political friends with public money. It was extraordinarily important for him to say that he was not the driver of the decision to um, to isolate on them as the organization to deliver that. So I don't think he was necessarily intending to throw them under the bus, uh, as the term goes. I think he was intending to make absolutely sure that everybody heard him uh, on the question of where this idea originated and the fact that he had reservations about it from the standpoint of the appearance of a conflict of interest. I think he also, because he knew he had to do that, he had to separate the idea from himself um, and articulate it as an idea that came up from the professional public service. He also felt an obligation, which I think he did repeatedly uh, live up to, to say he has a lot of respect for the professional public service and a lot of regard for the work that they're doing, especially in the pandemic context. I think it was a fine line to walk, uh, but that part of it, I guess I felt, um, you could listen to it and say, all right, he's making a, he's making a reasonable point uh, that this wasn't his idea and therefore the argument that it was a corruption uh, falls flat. Um, and to do that, he has to uh, pin the idea on them. Okay. Um, and, but he wanted to make sure that he didn't uh, disrespect the work that they're doing at the same time. All right. So I think on those points, he navigated relatively well in an extremely, uh, in extremely treacherous waters. Well, they are treacherous because people are looking for accountability. And he seemed to be suggesting the accountability was on the public service head, not his. Yeah, yeah, you could listen to it and sort of say, well, he he said I'm sorry, and he said it was their idea, and it wasn't his idea, and he pumped the brakes, and but it was ultimately their idea, and you could hear in that if you felt um, uh, inclined to, or if you listen to one aspect of that sound enough to say it doesn't feel like he is um, accepting an appropriate amount of accountability for this, and. And I guess if I felt that there was one um, kind of exposed blank coming out of this uh, this episode today for the prime minister, it was this idea that he asked his government effectively to spend another couple of weeks exploring the risk that he saw and making sure that the risk was minimized or eliminated. And then uh, they went ahead with the decision and the risk actually did transpire. So. Uh, on some level, that is a um, a decision that isn't really about the public service. It's about you know how his government responded to his direction to uh, stress test this uh, this idea. Last question, uh, and it it goes back to well the way we started with your survey. Um, I don't expect that a lot of people watched that today. Uh, you never know, but it was daytime television on a weekday. Um, mm. A lot of us are <laughs> at home these days anyway, but nevertheless, people will tend to be influenced, if not by having seen it themselves, by the coverage that it eventually gets. So what I'm wondering is, in terms of your survey results today, do you see anything that happened today that would fundamentally change the kind of results you saw? I don't know uh, fundamentally. And... Um I do think that if there were those liberal voters that I mentioned before from last fall 
who were feeling a little bit uncomfortable with what they had to say and what they were hearing from the government about this issue, they might well have been reassured by the prime minister saying what he said about putting distance between himself and the organization, uh, describing his relationship with the um, uh, the Kielberger brothers as uh, uh, as a relationship, but not a deep friendship or anything like that. Um, I think he, I think he probably handled the questions about his mother and his brother and his wife and expenses as well as could be done. I think that it was probably material for those voters to have heard that if they listened to it uh, or if they pick it up in the coverage afterwards, to hear him say that he sensed that there was a problem potentially in appearance anyway with uh, going ahead with this contract and he hit the pause button. Um, as they say, you know, depending on where this goes, they may still wonder, well, with that pause, what work was done and, and, um, and how did there still seem to be a few accidents along the way here? But, um, I, I do think at the end of the day, and I, I, we sort of mentioned this in our poll that, that most people will look at this long enough to decide whether it should distract them from, uh, the coronavirus and the economic issues that are very, very perplexing to a lot of people. And um, uh, or whether or not they can they can you know kind of tuck this away and say uh, this was a uh, this was an unfortunate uh, chapter in the life of this government but I can go back to being preoccupied with those other things uh, I think on the basis of what I saw so far today um, people are maybe a little bit more likely to say I can go back to my other concerns uh, there was a bit of a a stress test of the prime minister's argument today. And uh, he gave answers um, uh, under pressure from opposition politicians and maybe uh, they'll move on. But I don't like to predict that kind of thing because in situations like this, as you know, uh, Peter, we don't know what we don't know. And we don't know uh, all of the elements of this story. And uh, we've been surprised already by a few elements in the last couple of weeks. So um, uh, as I say, I don't, don't really think it's prudent to go further than that. Good points, all of them. Um, I'll say one thing positive about today, and that was um, that we actually saw it. The prime minister didn't have to go to that committee. He could have, you know, he could have, he, he could have said no. He could have stretched it out. He could have argued about whether or not he'd appear, whether he'd appear for ten minutes or half an hour or an hour or ninety minutes as he did, or not go at all. Uh, but he went, and the opposition was there, and they grilled him. Uh, and there's no doubt about some of them really went after him. And that's great for the system, that we can have a situation like that. You look south of the border, can you imagine, you know, Donald Trump sitting before a committee hearing and the House of Representatives or the Senate being grilled that way? No, it'll never happen. It won't happen. He wouldn't even let his cabinet ministers go in uh, to to answer questions on uh, the issues surrounding Russia and Ukraine and, uh, and other issues. So on that side... You know, good for them, good for all of them, that uh, we have a process like that that uh, does challenge the people in the positions of power uh, on the accountability question. You may argue about the kind of answers we got, but they were, it did happen. We saw accountability taking place or attempts at accountability taking place. Bruce, listen, thanks so much for doing this. Did you want to make a quick point on that? 
Yeah, I, I just want to completely agree with that. We, you know, every every jurisdiction probably wonders whether it has enough checks and balances uh, as it needs from time to time. And every once in a while, you'll hear people describe our system as being, you know, dominated by prime ministerial power. But uh, I do agree with you completely that what we saw today is evidence that our system actually can function. We've got the prime minister's chief of staff. Uh, taking questions for a good length of time, the prime minister taking questions for a good length of time. And when we look south of the border and we see how that system, which supposedly was the most perfectly structured uh, to have checks and balances, has kind of broken down. Um, we do have some things to be grateful for here, uh, including the fact that um, if all of the opposition parties decided that they wanted an election, we'd have an election and people could make a decision again. Um, so, Yes, I saw, I saw a lot of good of that, and I thought, you know, for people like the Prime Minister and the Chief of Staff uh, dealing with a situation like this, uh, to suit up and go in there and take those questions, it's not an easy thing to do, and, uh, and uh, it was good that they felt the obligation to do it. All right. Listen, Bruce, thanks, as always, for uh, helping uh, guide us through one of these situations, and this was a good one today, so thank you. It was great to talk, Peter. Thanks for calling. Okay, so listen, that wraps up our special edition of the Bridge Daily today uh, as we looked at the Prime Minister's appearance before uh, a committee hearing uh, in the Canadian Parliament on the WE controversy. Tomorrow, end of the week, it's the weekend special, so get your questions or comments or thoughts in. Uh, This is the last night I'll be taking them in for tomorrow's podcast. So uh, don't be shy. The Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com, the Mansbridge Podcast at gmail.com and all those fawning comments about, oh, it's great to hear Bruce Anderson on the program again. You don't have to send those in. That's that's obvious. Everybody knows that. (laughs) Anyway, we will uh, look forward to talking to you tomorrow. I'm Peter Mansbridge. This has been the Bridge Daily. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again in 24 hours. 